workers across the world, being at the forefront in the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic has not been an easy task. A shortage of resources and witnessing loss of life on a large scale are just some of the aspects that have become part of a day's work. Recognizing these challenges, Dr. Adia Mossam, a public health specialist, advocates for unity as one of the most powerful tools towards defeating the pandemic. Currently in the process of capturing how healthcare workers have been dealing with COVID-19 across provinces, Mossam seeks to find the best approach that will contribute to lower rates of infection. She sat down with me, Mulebuhe Mokoka, to speak about this, as well as a food security initiative she's helped develop to assist underprivileged families during this time. You're listening to the Winning Women podcast. health medicine specialist and that is a medical doctor by training who has gone on to specialize in public health which deals a lot with the health of populations um, looking more to prevent disease and promote health rather than only cure diseases so I work at um, an institution that is um, affiliated to WITS University but is the uh, a unit of the Medical Research Council of South Africa and the unit is called Priceless South Africa and we deal with decision making um, and priority setting and health economics. So very much sort of in the academic space but also do a lot of consulting especially now around COVID (laughs) um, trying to assist people to wrap their heads around um, what something like this means for for different populations. Why is it important for you to capture how healthcare workers across provinces um, have dealt with COVID-19? And I hear that you want to expand this uh, capturing of information from healthcare workers across the world. Okay. Public health specialists, um, public health medicine specialists work sometimes quite isolated from their peers. So, for example, like I work in a research unit, there's no other public health medicine specialists. There's one, my boss, but we're working in research. Um, you know, a hospital might have one and the like. So few of us who graduated recently have been having a discussion about we should create a platform where across the country we can all engage. And so when COVID came, we thought this is actually a good chance because all of the public health people are busy doing things and we can share. So we've started setting up meetings so that, you know, this public health uh, specialists across the country can kind of share and say, KZN is doing this, Limpopo is doing this, Gauteng is doing this, and we can kind of share knowledge. Um, then I was um, fortunate to be select- selected as a young physician leader by... Um, Inter-Academies Partnership. So I was one of the 2019 cohort of young physician leaders. So that is, again, people from across the world. And I thought, you know, from the from the national engagement that we had, it was so interesting that it would be really great. And we had people like from Italy, when we know Italy had quite a, you know, quite a devastating uh, experience with the pandemic. And, you know, people from China and people from uh, Mongolia and Philippines and, and I thought you know wouldn't it be great if we had that same discussion 
So I approached IAP, I was like, listen, can I, can I do this? And they were like, yeah, sure. And so then we set up that and we had one of those um, discussions where people from different countries presented what was going on in their countries. And so we got an idea of how different countries were responding. So you said you had a meeting um, recently with some of the healthcare workers from across mm. uh, different parts of the world. What is the general feeling that you're getting from healthcare workers? Healthcare workers across the world were stressed. They were anxious. We saw Italian doctors crying, and there were clips being circulated of doctors in Italy, you know, crying and saying, "We don't know what to do." You know, in as sad as it is to say. And I'm not saying that South African healthcare workers didn't experience less stress, but because we work in a resource-limited country, in some ways we make these decisions every day. We have to decide who gets what, right? We have to, you know, there's, there's situations sometimes where somebody needs an ICU bed and there is no ICU bed. Healthcare workers in other contexts might not be faced with this in non-resource-constrained countries where they have enough, um, they, for them, this was probably a very, very new and difficult situation because they've not had to make those really hard decisions. I mean, when you have 15 people who need ICU beds and you have 10 ICU beds, how do you make that? It's an ethical consideration. How do you make that decision? Who gets what? Is it the old gentleman? who's got maybe 20 years of his life left? Is it the 20-year-old gentleman? And who, who gets to decide who provides more value? Is it economic value? Is it, you know, so those are very difficult decisions for human beings to make, and it's a stressful situation. So I can imagine from what I've seen that healthcare workers across the world were really, really trying to grapple with, you know, this because you are really making decisions and you don't have the luxury of time. You know, you have to make these decisions really, really quickly. So tell us a little bit more about this food security initiative that you've recently started. Okay. So um, the food security initiative, um, I have to say, though, and I'm very I'm, I'm honored that you are interviewing me about this, but I really, I started it, but the legs and the real heart of the association is two other women and many, many volunteers. What happened in the beginning stages of COVID, um, as a public health specialist, you know, we are quite aware of the, the societal um, aspects to disease. And so we can see how something like COVID-19 would end up impacting people beyond just a health, uh, you know, beyond just them getting ill. So um, immediately, you know, uh, I was one of the public health specialists on, in another group that I belong to called Public Health Action, where we were advocating for the lockdown. But it wasn't something that we did lightly. We understood that with lockdown, there would be economic consequences to that. And so one of the things I did was um, set up two Telegram groups. And I use Telegram because, you know, now Telegram has, you can put more members on it than WhatsApp. And so we started two Telegram groups. One was just to get volunteers, general volunteers, because I figured at some point we were going to need some sort of, you know, um, community mobilization. 
And then there was another group, which was for healthcare workers. Um, and the healthcare worker one was just for me to pass on information because a lot of information was coming through different social media, you know, the WhatsApp groups galore where people would say, we need healthcare workers to do this, to do that. And so I was passing on that information. A lot of people wanted to help, but they didn't know how. So the Telegram group for the general population ballooned very quickly. Like in a few days, there were a thousand people on there. And then I was like, oh, now I'd like... we've created this, but not a lot of people are are asking for volunteers yet. There were a few, there were one or two, like gift of the givers needed people to assist with their mobile screening. There were those things, but by and large, there weren't a lot. So I was getting really busy. And um, there's a colleague of mine, Alia Kaji, who is working in uh, a lot in the social solidarity space. And so I asked her, I was like, I know you, we've worked on NGOs before and I was like, I'm really sorry to do this again, but can I, can I just basically pull you on board? And I said to her, look, we've got these people. Maybe we should start disaggregating to provincial structures. So anyways, we set up in provincial groups. And so, you know, it became a, an initiative where people were, there were some some provinces, there were people connecting, you know, there were people who said, oh, we have food parcels. And and other people were saying, I need this, I need food parcels for XYZ people. And they were connecting in that way. Um, in some provinces, it was more like, I know somebody who needs food or electricity or airtime. And people were just donating or sending e-wallets and the like. So we also recognized that there's a, a, a dignity in allowing people to have agency. So, you know, money, if you can, if it's possible to give somebody the money to go and buy what they need. You know, if they have a baby, giving them food that's only suitable for adults doesn't really help. Or if they're diabetic and you're giving them something that is not suitable. So in this way, we we try to give them money. If they decide, no, actually we have food, but we need you know, money for electricity because, oh, my kid needs money for airtime so that they can study. So it started, it was mostly food security, but we don't dictate, you know, people would ask and we'd say, list what you need. And then we would find them, you know, a way, a way to fulfill that. We don't really dictate and say, if we only had food parcels, we'd say, look, we only have food parcels at the moment, but we tried our best. When I do see people who are struggling extraordinarily in a society that has the means to take that struggle away, I think that does sit with me and therefore it does, it, it spurs me to do some sort of action. By Musam's own admission, the pandemic has taken a toll on her mental health. But for as long as she has the resources and time, she will continue to provide support where it's mostly needed. Join me again next week as I shift the microphone to another woman changing lives. Hashtag winning women.